We're looking at this next section on election and predestination on the question of why God chooses or how he does that. We are springboarding off Genesis 25:23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Remember that the words meant to crush or oppress in Rebekah's womb. Why was this the case? Because God himself told her this. Jacob had been chosen over Esau. God's plan of loving Jacob over Esau had a purpose. We see that there is the glory of God in the damnation of sinners and the election of saints. Though this be a very hard topic, Isaac Watts says keenly, quote, Keep your mind always open to receive truth, and never set limits to your improvements. Be always ready to hear what may be objective, even against your favorite opinions and those which have had the longest possession of your assent. So even though you may be comfortable in a certain area of your theological views, always have your mind ready to hear the truth. We turn then to the nature of all God's works. It is true that God is glorious in all he does, that God is righteous in all he does, that he is holy in all he does, that he is right in all he does, including damning sinners and saving saints. Daniel 9.14 says, For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. Psalm 145.17 The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Psalm 33.4 For the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. Psalm 103.22 Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Righteous, holy, truth. We are to bless God for all of his works. Because God is glorious in all that he does. God will never do anything which is not glorious, for that would be inconsistent with who he is. When we are talking about the saving acts or the damning acts for God, we would infringe upon his gloriousness to say that these were not so. If electing and damning are works, works that God does, then praise is due for them. Yet, it is difficult to praise God for these things unless we have a clear and concise scriptural reason for why he does what he does in saving some and damning others. Why would he have a Jacob to love and an Esau to hate? Well, looking at Romans 9, 1-23, as we've already done in an entire lecture, why does God elect and damn by his own will, both being works of God? Well, in verse 11, that the purpose of God demonstrated is one, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It is by God's work that that's done. Ephesians 1, 5 and 9 also echoes this. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, with which purposed in himself. It is a demonstration of the glory of his grace. It is a demonstration of God's being. Is it fair? Verse 14 in Romans 9, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. This is taken as a question of fairness rather than of righteousness. God is not fair in and of himself to save one and damn others, so someone thinks. But they're thinking wrong. It has nothing to do with fairness. If a creditor has something against me, and the bill is not paid, it is nothing to do with fairness if somebody comes in and pays that for me. Nothing to do with it at all. Let's say there was a group of people, hundred of them or so, in a congregation sitting in church, and I walked in, and I had ten $100 bills. And I walked around and just decided to give ten of those bills to ten people that I had purpose to in that group of people just because I wanted to. Someone would say, well, that's not fair. I didn't get one. Well, it has nothing to do with fairness. When we speak of what is fair, we speak of what is just. And we have to go into the justice of God. Let me give you an example. A student forgot to do his homework. And so the teacher, in calling out who had done their homework and who didn't, sees this young man's hand raise up you didn't do your homework. And the student says, no, I haven't done my homework. I'm sorry. Something happened last night. Could you give me one more day and I'll pass it in tomorrow? And the teacher said, yes, that would be fine. Well, the next particular lesson, the next week, the teacher asked the same question, who's done their homework? And this time, five people raised their hands. And they said, well, we had these certain things to do. We weren't able to do our homework. Would you please give us another day and we'll turn it in tomorrow? And the teacher said, yes. The next week, same question. Who has done their homework? And lots of students raise their hand, more than half, and the, the professor begins to see, well, a pattern is evolving. And they say, could we have another day? And the, the teacher says, no. And then they say, what? That's not fair. Well, it has nothing to do with fairness. In thinking about salvation, the world deserves justice. And God is obliged to show the world justice. He's not obliged to give them another day to do their homework. He is obliged to be just. That is what's fair. That is why the question of why does God save some and not others is so emphatically answered in verse 17 of Romans 9. It gives us the why of the whole idea. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. That's the reason why God either damns or doesn't. That's why he saves or doesn't. Because he wants to show his power, and that his name might be declared throughout all the earth. The power of God is exemplified, and the name of God declared throughout all the earth. It's for the glory of his name. It's the whole purpose of election and damnation, that the name of God may be declared as great and glorious through the earth. That is the word 
that the scripture gives us. That is the reason that God gives us as to why he elects and damns. God's name is linked to his power and he will have his name declared throughout all the earth. We pray for the election of some and others are damned. Well, in all this, God is still following his plan. God is still following his eternal decree. But Matthew 6, 9 is very poignant, even in the way that we should pray. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Whatever God does, righteously, justly, eternally, decretively, we are to pray that his name be hallowed. God's name is to ring throughout all the earth like a church bell resounding, that all may hear the power and glory of Christ, the glory of God's name throughout all the earth. Election, which is the heart of the gospel, is surrounded by the purpose of God, which is to have his name declared throughout all the earth. Someone might say, I see how God is glorified in his love and mercy with the vessels of honor made for eternal life with God, that his people may see his face and glory in him forever, but I don't see how creating vessels of destruction to be cast into the bowels of hell and wrath for all eternity is glorifying to God in the least. But remember, first we saw Paul telling us that some thought God was unfaithful, then we saw Paul telling us in Romans 9 that he was unjust. But thirdly, we see that he's demonstrating that God is not unjust, he's not unfaithful, but people still view him as severe and cruel. But our theology must not be guided by our emotions. The truth of God should dictate what we feel about the Lord. And maybe hard to see the glory of God in the damnation of sinners, but certainly it is not impossible. Quote, The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. Psalm 104, 31. So God's glory shall endure forever, and all his works, salvation or damnation, he shall rejoice in. As much as we rejoice with God for salvation, that shows off his redeeming hand of love and mercy and compassion, so we must also along with God rejoice in his work of damnation, because that shows off the glory of his wrath and his justice against wickedness and sin. And we know, Psalm 145.17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. We always cheer when the good guy wins in the movie. We always cheer when good triumphs over evil. Why is it that we don't do it when we see God electing and damning? How could you serve an unjust God? Imagine if God did not punish wickedness. How could you serve a God who has no reproach for sin? God does nothing which would infringe upon his goodness and holiness. He'll punish the wicked and shall see that justice prevails against those left in their sin. He shall not infringe upon his reputation and let sin go unpunished. Remember, God had, before the foundation of the world, decreed that certain people would glorify him in his justice. God wants his people to see all of his goodness, which includes wrath and judgment and anger. Yet, Paul even goes further to explain why he does that. 
Listen to what he says. What if God, willing to show his wrath to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory? I mean, think about this. God creates and damns people for the express reason of showing forth his power and glory all over the earth through the mouths of you and I, who declare his righteousness and gloriousness and the act. The vessels of mercy, the saved, with unblinded eyes, see the sweetness of their salvation when they ponder the fact that some have been made in fashion for destruction. And Christians who ponder such things will have no other choice but to declare the wonders, power, and glory of God through the whole earth. It benefits the vessels of honor that God creates and destroys the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. God shows his righteousness in these things. He hardens hearts, and he brings forth compassion and mercy. And both of these are the ways by which God's name will be declared as a God to be feared and a God to be praised. In this, Christians should ponder applying these thoughts to their own salvation and life. Some things to ponder, some things to apply. The sacredness of the name and holiness of God. If you don't understand the sacred character of the name of God and the holiness of his name, then the doctrine of election and predestination and damnation will be a confusing one. Paul, throughout explaining Genesis 25-23, builds up his arguments by appealing to the righteousness of God and to the name of God. And he does this by quoting a lot of Old Testament texts and verses. He's trying to show us that the most important aspect of the Christian life, the very reason why we were elected in the first place, is to glorify God's name. I mean, the Westminster Confession, the Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man is the very first question. The answer as the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. The scriptures attest to this over and over again. First Samuel 12.22 For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Psalm 23.3 He restoreth my soul, and he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Psalm 25.11 For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. Psalm 106.8 Nevertheless he saved them for his own name's sake, that he might make his power known to them, his mighty power. Matthew 19.29 and every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. First John 2.12 I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Isaiah 48.11 For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. Do you regard the name of God as sacred and holy? Or the parallel question would be, do you believe in election and damnation as Paul has set forth, as Genesis 25-23 has been stated to Rebekah by the lips of God himself? God's righteousness is not always a saving gift, but may be brought forth as righteous justice. 
Well, that doesn't make God any less righteous. But people take offense to this, that God purposely damn wicked people to hell. I mean, the devil is wicked, but no one ever says that they're bothered that God created the devil for that purpose. What about being fair there? The last 200 years of church history have so warped our minds and consequently our doctrine with bad theology that we can't see past the all-loving and all-forgiving grandfather God in the sky. And it has come so far as even to infringe on the holiness of God by tampering with the sacredness of worship and evangelism itself. We try to make religion attractive to blind, wicked sinners, hoping that those who may be marked out for condemnation, made as vessels of wrath by God, would not be offended by a message of judgment on their sin. Go into any church, most churches, anywhere you live, and you'll see that. We place reproach on the message of Christ himself when we do this. Christ knew intimately of the righteousness of God. He was the incarnate God himself. What was his message? Repent or perish. It was never, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The apostles' doctrine, what was it? It was repent and believe. But the church's message today has become watered down so as not to offend. But there are no scriptures which show Christ or the apostles saying God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life when they evangelize or bear witness to the truth. And see, that is why people just don't like the message of the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is offensive to them. God's righteousness is offensive to them. And the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Well, it should be. And those who are being saved? It's the power of God. People often say, how could God send a man to hell? But the righteous of Christ yells out, how couldn't he? Until we understand that the name of God is glorious in all its facets, and all its revelation. Whether it be justice or mercy, whether it be compassion or wrath, we fail to do justice to the gospel message. For that which is to be declared throughout all the earth, the name of God, is nothing other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ, for his own glory and power, to make his name resound throughout the earth, saves some to eternal life, and damns others to eternal destruction. And all of this is glorious in his sight. Do you bring this message of righteousness and holiness to the ends of the earth? Are you proclaiming the gospel of God's love and mercy and wrath and justice? Christians, are you mirrors which reflect to the world the holiness and righteousness of God's name? Do you do all for the sake of his name and light of the precious gift he has lavished upon you, by which he had no obligation to give you at any time? Remember, God does everything for the sake of his name and for his glory. He forms the wicked to damn them to hellfire for his name's sake, and he forms the righteous to give them eternal life for his name's sake. All of it is for him and his glory. Every attribute God has shall be seen and shall be gloried in, and it is a great sin to attribute unrighteousness, unfairness, injustice to him in any of his works, for he is all glorious and all-powerful, 
and all is done to declare his name throughout all the earth. God's creation in manifold ways shall glorify him as he sees fit. Yet many do not believe this doctrine of election and predestination. Many do not believe it today. And the reason is because they think God is unfair, because they don't know the true God of the Bible. Many object to this doctrine. Many object to Romans chapter 9. I can remember going into my theological professor's office in the Arminian school I first went to, reading Romans 9 with him, and him saying, my theology falls apart in passages like this because I just don't know what to do with Romans chapter 9. It doesn't fit into my theological scheme. Of course it doesn't fit in such a theological scheme. Arminianism is not the gospel. Many don't believe it because they don't understand who God is. And if they, take, if they get their, the attributes of God wrong, they will get the gospel wrong. So in the next lecture, we shall cover their objections and what objections arise as a result of misunderstanding the eternal plan, purpose, and reason God glorifies himself in election and predestination. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know serve and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to his great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.